home. Say, kids, what I preach about today? Deer in the headlights. Like nothing. And uh, just trying to trying to pump the prime. Sometimes I prime the, prime the pump. Maybe they'll think about an illustration. Oh, yeah, you talked about that, but kind of missing it. Um, sometimes adults. Well, what about last week, the sermon? Like, oh, I don't know. Um, but we ought to be encouraged, though, because a lot of times, just when prompted, there's a lot of things that are, are learned. And I think also... Uh, one of the, the values of preaching is not necessarily just information transfers. We're not looking to be PhDs here, all right? But what it is is the affection of the heart during the moment of the preaching. Just it stirs in our heart in, in ways that only the Lord knows. Because the truth of the matter is we, we forget a lot of stuff. But I think I could be encouraged this morning because my message from last week was a little bit different. I, I know that uh, a lot of you sort of caught on with it, and I, I made my point strong enough, at least I hope, okay? So I'm going to test my hypothesis. I'm going to give you a little pop quiz from last week, and uh, my hope is that lots of you will remember. So my, my text this week is the same as it was last week, Romans 5, 21, 12 through 21. You can uh, open that passage if you want. Um, Especially since I'm going to give you a pop quiz from that chapter. I'm trying to, you guys know what I'm, I'm going to be doing. 942, page number in the Pew Bible, if that's what you're, you're choosing there. And uh, here's the question, all right? What was my outline from last week? I am so encouraged. We have, we have two men who committed two acts who had two results, right? And the two men, of course, were Adam and Jesus. And their two acts, Adam sinned and Jesus had a sacrifice. And their two results was simply death to mankind and life to mankind. And if you get that picture right, you've got our passage last week and this week. So let's read it. Romans five twelve to 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Remember the dash there. He's going to explain what he meant. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted when there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died through the one trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin, for judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification of life for all men. First, by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus 
our Lord. My message this morning is entitled, entitled Death to Life. So the text deals with that, that journey that all of us take, born into death, dead in Adam's sin, and if we trust in Christ, alive in Jesus Christ. But my message this morning is titled just like last morning, but this morning I have a little part two. So kids, you can see that notice there. It's a little, little part two, same message, same text, really same message. And, and last week we focused on verses 12 to 14. And it'd be good for us to review those a little bit. Verse 12, Paul writes, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. The point of verse 12 is that we are all guilty in Adam. In other words, right, it's not merely that we are guilty sinners because of what we do. Oh, and and we do sin, and, and we are guilty by what we do. But verse 12 says we are guilty because of who we are. We are guilty because of Adam's sin, and because Adam sinned, we all will die. Now note well that the verse 12 doesn't say that death through sin and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. I mean, that would be true enough, and, and we all are sinners, and we all certainly do sin, and we all do die because of our sin, but that's not what verse 12 is saying. Verse 12 said that death spread to all men because all sinned. In other words, when Adam sinned, we sinned in Adam. We sinned as well. Now, you might take two views on that. One might be uh, uh, that we were really there present in the loins of Adam. Somehow DNA connected with Adam that when he chose, we were culpable for that. Much the same way that Levi paid tithes to... um, Rather, Levi was in the loins of Abraham when Abraham paid tithes to to Melchizedek. So Levi, who received tithes, actually did pay tithes. And that's the argument. You can read that in Hebrews 7.10. It might be that we're really there in Adam. There's a connectedness that we just don't think about that could be true there. Or maybe because Adam was our representative, like we, we vote public officials to represent us in the affairs of government. They make good or bad decisions, and we live with them. It's like Adam made the bad decision and we must live with it. Or it might be a combination of the two. Or, or those might be two pictures of what's really going on. But either way, the reality is this. Because of Adam's sin, we are all guilty before the Lord. As Brian read, Psalm 51, verse, I think it's 4. In, in sin, my mother conceived me. That's not that the act of conception was sin. It was that into this realm of sin is where I was conceived. I was conceived as a, as a child by nature, who is a, a sinner. And so I think it's Isaiah 58.3 or Psalm 58.3. It says, all, all children go astray from their womb, speaking lies. We don't need to teach children to do bad because they are bad. We need to teach them to do good. And, and Paul explained that. I mean, that's the purpose of the death. Okay, I've got to explain this. You've got to understand by noting that death was present from the time between Adam and Moses. And though, even though people didn't have the law... They still died at that time. For sin, indeed, was in the world, verse 13, before the law was given. Right? The people were sinful that time because they were sinners and, and sin was happening. But sin is not counted where there is no law. In other words, God is not going to condemn based upon a law which hasn't come to pass yet. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who sinned, was sinning in a not like the transgression of Adam, who's a type of one to come. See, Adam was given a law to obey. Genesis 2, verses 
15 through 17, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And here's what he said to Adam. Here's your job, Adam. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. There it is. You may freely eat. Just abundant there. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That was the command that God gave to Adam. Eat freely. From any tree, every tree, and enjoy to the full, except just that that one tree. And God gave him a warning. You eat from that tree, and you're going to die. You're going to die that very day. Now, of course, Adam did eat from that tree, and he died. He certainly died spiritually, and the connection between he and the Lord was lost forever that they used to have. had to be restored Um And maybe the fact that they didn't die physically that day was a demonstration of God's mercy. But Paul points out how Adam's sin was different than the sin of everyone else. Look again at verse 14. Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. See, the sin of Adam was unique. It was a a sin um, that was unique against anyone else in the world. It was a sin before sin nature came. Because we all sin from a sin nature, but Adam sinned from innocence. His sin was different than Eve's sin. It says that Eve was deceived by the serpent, but Adam sinned eyes wide open. No deception, fully understanding what he was doing. And because of Adam's sin, we're guilty and deserving of death. And one of my... Um, aims of my message last week was to show us all how deeply entrenched in sin we are, not simply because we do bad things, but because we are sinful. In fact, they say to err is human, right? To be human is to be sinful. Paul wrote Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, he says that we were by nature children of wrath. That is our very core, our very nature, our very being. It's who we are. Now, we are sinners by choice, and God's wrath rightly falls upon us because we choose sin. Romans 1 speaks about how God made the world to show clearly His eternal power and divine nature. And yet, all who walk in sinful ways have to suppress that truth, deny God, and then in full accountability walk in their ways of sin. And all who walk in their sinful ways are accountable for the Lord, and God's wrath is upon them. But verse 12, Paul's just taking it deeper. It's it's a deeper issue than just mere things that you say. It's who we are. Um, One of my my aims for this message is what Steve Leston, I remember hearing him say this. He said this, the problem of sin, the problem of sin in your life is not as bad as you think. It's far worse than you can imagine. Because it goes to the deepest motives of our heart. It's, it's, it's not just the bad things that we do. It's who we are. But the good news is this. The victory you have in Jesus isn't as good as you think it is. It is far better than you think it to be. And if you really right, can see and understand the victory of Christ, it will overwhelm you every day and make a huge change and transformation in your life. Or as you need to help me, Vaughn. I didn't write this down. Tim Keller says that you are more... Sinful, you're more sinful and flawed than you ever dare think, yet you are more loved and welcomed than you ever dared possible. Something like that, right?
Same idea. Right? It's not just, you, you, think your sin, you think your sin is here, but I'm telling you, it's far deeper than you know. And you think God's grace is here, and I'm saying it's far higher than you know. That, that's why the longer you become a Christian, the more you see and marvel at the cross. I, I love the illustration about the, a cross. I mean, I mean pic, picture, picture a cross here, right? If I'm, if I'm 100 feet away looking at the cross, the cross looks pretty small, right? But the, the more and more I walk with Jesus, the closer I get to the cross the bigger and bigger it becomes as I see in perspective. Now I can't even see anything but the cross. And that's the idea of our text this morning. That's the idea of the scriptures. It's just the, the overwhelming depth of our sin and the overwhelming grace of God in Jesus. I, I love the way that Ray Ortland Jr. Um, wrote in this uh, devotional commentary. It's really basically prayers and meditations from the book of Romans. And and he has his own, he re, puts a passage here, his own translation, and then he uh, he puts a prayer here, and then he quotes some church father. I just want you to listen to the prayer of what he prays here, Romans five twelve and following. He says, O oh, divine physician, your diagnosis of my condition is so much more profound than my own analysis of myself. I would see myself as a wilted rose in need of a generous watering. But you explain to me that, in fact, I am hemlock, That is poison. It's what Socrates drank and killed himself with. I am hemlock, growing vigorously in a world infested with hemlock, all from one common root. And my problem is not superficial. My problem is not a little lie here or a lustful thought there. My problem is not even a huge shocking lie here and actual adultery there. My real problem underlies all the surface manifestations of my sin And it is the guilt and corruption of my very nature as a child of Adam. Oh God, your gospel takes me deep, deep down all the way to the very root of my condemnation, all the way back to Adam. Now, oh Lord, lift me up very, very high into the richness of your grace in Christ my Lord and head. In his holy name, amen. Just a great perspective of how to see things. And my prayer this morning for us that we would go down deep, deep down to understand our sin in Adam. That we would go up, up, up high to understand the glories and the riches of, of the grace in Christ. Because see, there, there is this connection between Adam and Christ. And I, and I love how Ray Ortland talks about going all the way down even to the root of Adam. Because Adam and Christ are... Are alike. You look at verse 14, it says that Adam, who is a type of the one who is to come. Now, this is surprising the word type comes from the Greek word tupos, right, which means impact. Right? How many of you ever typed on one of these old typewriters? Any of you kids, are you under 10 and typed on one of these typewriters? Uh, one, one over there. Great. Abigail, like, does your, your parents have one? Yeah, great. You have one. Great. Then you got to press down real hard. I remember my grandmother, when she would write letters to me, um, she would always type them on this typewriter like that. And, but, but this is what it means. It's a type. It's, a, it's an impact, right? You, you press this little lever, and this thing goes up, and it goes, bam, right? And it, and it hits this, and puts an impact right there about whatever the, the typeface was like. Um, that's what it means. Uh, when Thomas 
was doubtful of the resurrection. He said, unless I see in his hands the mark of his nails, the type of his nails, right? The impact of his nails and place my finger into the mark, into the type, into the pattern, the impress of the nails and place my hand inside, I will never believe. Just the, the same thing. Um, this word is used metaphorically to describe example or pattern. When Paul told those in Philippi, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example, according to the type that you have in us, according to the impact. This is my life, your life. Let's, let's match them together and let's be the same. That's the idea. Peter used it when he exhorted the elders of the church to be examples to the flock. Be types, be patterns. Now it's surprising here that Adam is called a type of Christ, a pattern, because in every way Adam was just opposite of Jesus. Adam brought sin, Jesus brings us out. Adam was sinful, Jesus was the sinless one. Adam was not the pattern that we ought to behave. That's why Paul, in verse 15, quickly clarifies his comments. Look at verse 15, he says, But the free gift is not like the trespass. I mean, he's beginning there to, to talk about the acts, right? The, the gift, the, the, the gift that we have. It's not like it's not like the trespass. It's not like the, the sin. It's not so. So when you think type, don't think exactly the same thing. It's not like that. And and even in verse sixteen, he, he speaks about the results. Verse sixteen, he says, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. So there he is talking about the acts. He's talking about the result of the sin. And then verses seventeen, eighteen, and nineteen, he continues to clarify his comments. And, and Adam is not the type in the way to live, but Adam is the pattern how the action of one man can affect so many, which we, we dealt with quite a bit last week. But what's, what's interesting about these verses, verses 15 through 19, and that's all the farther we're going to get today, is that basically he says the same thing in every single verse. Okay? And what's he going to say? There are two men who perform two acts and end up with two results. That's what he says. Every single verse. Every single verse can be outlined exactly the same way. And so what, what I figured I would do re- regarding my outline is simply do this. Okay, here's my point. Verse 15 is my point. And we're going to look at the two men, two acts, and two results. And we're going to focus mostly on the results because that's where the, the treasures are. But I, I'm, going to, I'm going to pull out just maybe different things as we go along in each of these verses. But if you remember, two men, two acts, and two results, you got every single verse. And I tried, I tried to figure out, okay, well, how is 15 different than 16, different than 17, different than 18, different than 19? And I don't fully understand how they're all different. You know, I wanted to have, okay, well, this talks about this aspect, this talks about this, but they're so much the same. So we're just going to go through them five times today. So here's our, here's our first time, verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So the two men are there, right? The one man identifies the one man's trespass. The, the other man is the, the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ. And they have two acts. That, it says there in verse, verse 15 that one man's trespass, it speaks about the grace of that one man, the, the giving kindness of there. And there are two results. The, the results are that many died, and the results are that the grace of God, the free gift, abounded for many. This is the point Paul's making again and again. The trespass of Adam brought death to many, but the grace of God through Jesus Christ abounds to many. 
Okay, and I want here in verse 6, verse 15, to focus on this word abound. Um, because of the riches here, and it comes up later, um, like in verse 17, it, it comes up, and it's just a, talking about more. Uh, so it's not just restoring, but it's, it's more of, of what it is. And so to illustrate this, I thought I'd put a smile on Steffi's face and talk about, talk about this event, right? This is gymnastics. Now, my daughter is into gymnastics, but we've deprived her okay, by not going full-fledged into club gymnastics and all the money and all the time and everything else like that. She's got other things to pursue, but she loves gymnastics. She sits and she flips and everything like that. So let's think about how a gymnastic competition works. A little girl gets on a stage and awaits a nod from the judge. And when the judge is busy with the paperwork, the girl goes like this. Gets the nod, and then does her thing, right? Flips and flings around, all like that, and then gets done, and what she do? And then she walks off the stage, right? And then, and then what happens at that point? The judges are there frantically. They've been writing the whole time, and they're frantically writing down. And as I understand it, right, if you do a degree of difficulties, it's more difficult than you have a higher possible score. But any kind of slip or, or anything else, like, lowers your score, flaw in execution. And, and in the end, the score is calculated, and the, the contestants are ranked, and there they are. They're presented according to their scores. So let's think about Adam. If Adam was there, and um, he performed his routine in the garden, what kind of score would you give Adam? Okay, we typically might think a zero, all right? However, um, think about what Adam did. Adam's sin failed to even meet the minimum standard, but it also disqualified his whole team. So you, you might even be inclined to, to put us a negative score. Like, he did so bad, he wasn't just disqualified. But he knocked the whole team out of it, and the whole no one else has a chance even to compete, if you will. The score of Adam was low. Now, what would be the score of, of Jesus? Okay, so let's think, think. Who is this girl? Nadia Komanich. Okay. And what was so famous about Nadia Komanich? She scored the first perfect ten. As I recall, is on the uneven parallel bars. May have been that very routine right there. How she gets her back like that, I have, I have no idea. But there's the idea of a, of a perfect ten. From Adam, he goes zero or less to Nadia Komanich, who gets a ten. But, it, but you know, it's more than just, just that. Because the performance of Jesus was so good that it brought back the disqualified team Adam's team to not only not just to level but got them up enough so that they won and they stand on the victor's stand in other words right the the work of Adam brought us low negated but the work of Christ not only canceled the negation of that but overabunded in goodness and grace to allow us to stand before God not just morally neutral like Adam was but morally superior in the sense that we get the righteousness of Christ it means that we stand as a better position today than Adam did. Because we don't stand at zero ready to perform with an outcome in doubt whether we would obey and fellowship with God or disobey and bring death to us all. But, but Jesus secured the result for us. 
We stand on the Olympic stand in Jesus, abounding. And even we didn't have to endure the years of training. Simply given to us on a platter. So a 50-year-old, balding, chubby guy can, can, can get old. Even though I could never do the things that they do. I couldn't do that. But Jesus did everything for us. That's the meaning of grace. That's the meaning of abounded. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound for the many. What we have in Jesus is far better than anything that Adam ever had. All right, let's go to my second point. You know what my second point's called? Verse 16. Here we go. Two men, two acts. You guys are catching on. I like that. Thanks, Heidi. Verse 16, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Okay, so the two men. It says one man's sin, and it doesn't mention the other man, but he is certainly implied by an act. The two acts, there's a trespass there, and there's a free gift on the other side. And then the two results, condemnation, and justification. And I trust you know the difference between condemnation and justification. Condemnation is that sentence of a judge who declares you guilty and worthy of punishment and then actually condemns you in your sin. Whether that be a speeding ticket, you need to pay the fine. Whether that's some theft, you need to spend some time in prison. Or whether it's capital punishment because you murdered someone else. That's condemnation. But justification, on the other hand, is the sentence a judge declares you innocent. People have accused you of all this stuff, but you are free of that. You are, you are innocent of that. You are not guilty of that. In the case of Jesus, right, we're declared to be righteous. That's the point of Romans chapter 4. Remember that? Romans chapter 4, verse 3. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So we've seen this picture before. But Abraham believes and God gives righteousness. That's the whole point of, of Romans chapter 4. Our faith goes up and God's righteousness comes down. He vindicates us. He justifies us by declaring us righteous. All right, let's consider the illustration. Right? We've got a courtroom. We've got the judge. We've got the jury. Got the defendant and his lawyer. We have the prosecution and their lawyer. We have the stenographer re- recording everything. We got the media in attendance and everybody's back there. And the trial begins. The background of the case is presented. The crime is described with detail. Right? A motive is assigned. Uh, witnesses are called. Evidence presented. Final arguments made. And then the prosecuting attorney stands before the judge and jury. He says, judge and jury, the case of God v. Adam. God created man and placed him in the garden. The garden was perfect. Had all the beauty you could ever dream of. Had all the fruit you could ever dream of eating. Nothing lacking in the environment. Nothing. But Adam did the one thing that was prohibited. May I emphasize the one thing that was prohibited. The only thing of all the abundance of opportunity. Here was one thing and that's what Adam did. He ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He'd been given clear direction by the Lord. Adam clearly knew that the action was wrong. Adam's not denying that. He knows that. Yet his motive is that he wanted to be like God. Knowing good and evil. And he found out what good and evil were that day. God had been good and he had been evil. 
by eating of that fruit. It's clear from the beginning that death would be the result of eating, and of this there is no doubt. Even the defendant himself admits that God had told him, in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. O judge and jury here today, you must convict this man of this crime. You must convict him and his posterity to death. I rest my case. And the condemnation came. And it came hard. You can read about it in Genesis 3. Cursed to the serpent, cursed to the woman, and cursed to the ground. That the man would have to labor and toil and sweat for his daily food. But Jesus reversed all of that. Wherever the judgment came, Jesus brought justification. Wherever the condemnation came to condemn, Jesus consecrated that. We read that in Romans chapter 3 of how it took place. You can turn back over there. Not, not by denying the sin of Adam. Not by sugarcoating it. Not by saying, well, it's not really his fault. Or not by saying, well, it's less than it was. Not by denying the evidence. Not by declaring a mistrial. But it's by informing the jury and judge the punishment has already been paid. He was condemned. Yes, we are condemned in Adam. But the punishment has been paid. Romans 3.23 for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? There's a full admission of our sinfulness. But we who sin and are fall short of the glory of God are justified, there it is, justification, justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You say, how is that done? Well, Jesus is the one whom God put forward as a propitiation in His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over the former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In other words, what Jesus did on that cross was pay for the sins of the Old Testament saints who believed and trusted in the Lord and paying for the New Testament saints who believe and trust in Christ. Paid for right there. God overlooked the sins previously, but he punished Jesus in their stead. And for our sin, he punishes us in our stead. That's how it happens. And it happens by sheer grace, by grace, through faith. We are justified, declared to be righteous. And that's the good news of the text. Is that it's not just that we are are not guilty of our crime, but we are declared righteous on top of that. That's another instance of abounding of what Christ did for us. All right, my next point, number three. My point is, is called what? Verse 17, all right. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. I trust you see the the two men. You see one man's trespass. You see one man, Jesus Christ mentioned. You see the two acts. It says there, one man's trespass. It talks about the abundance of grace, the free gift of righteousness. That's the gift of what's being done. You see the two results, death reigned, and grace and righteousness will reign in life. There's a word that's repeated here that really is the focus of this verse. It's the word reign. Not reign as in drizzly like outside, right? But, but reign in the sense of ruling, conquering king. And death reigned, but much more will the gift and grace of righteousness reign in life. The picture here is of a king and a kingdom. On the one hand, you have Adam. He's the kingdom He's the king of the kingdom of death. And the other hand, you have Jesus. And he is the king of the kingdom of life. And you don't need to look long in our world to see the reign of Adam working its way. And I mean, all you need to do is take a newspaper. Here's, I just picked up the Rockford Register Star from Saturday. 
And uh, normally I, I turn here. I see they traded down and, and drafted a Division II tight end, which I still can't understand everything that they're doing. But Ryan Pace, I just got to... Whatever. All right. Anyway, but you, you, turn, you turn here to the obituaries, right? And um, today's... Uh, I'll just do it like this. Today, today's obituaries aren't so bad, okay? Um, because everybody in the obituary is older than I was, all right? But that's a rare day. Normally, normally you get a few that are younger than me, and that starts getting scarier. And for some of you, it uh, gets scarier and scarier all the time to look at the obituaries. But here she is, Clarice Georgia Hoagland, died peacefully. Well, at least that was nice. 1924 to 2017. She was 92. And Dorothy Lau passed away. She was 93. And um, I got Sean Avery Baxter was 60 of Rockford, died. Uh, Belva Rebecca Brandt was 102 of Shannon. Robert Wade was 98. And Roland McGee was 81. And... Richard Myers was 83, and Charles Charlie Bear was 64, and Harold Joe Cooper was 76, and Doris Dole was 89, and M- Michelle, Mike Galuzzo, well, who would call Michelle is what his real name was. That's why he changed the name to Mike, I'm sure. He was 76. Marsha Guzman, 65, and uh, she was an adored mother and grandmother. Robert McKinney was 59, and Kevin Bowden was 60, and Ethel Lorraine Gardner was 92. Passed away peacefully, how kind of God. And um, Nat Nelson was 92, beloved father, uncle, and grandfather. And this is every day. And Phil, I know that you read these every day, don't you? Did you know any of these folks? Which one did you know? Oh, so you can explain his name. Did you know that he was named Michelle? No, I didn't know that. Okay. Well, I'd tell you you could tell him, but you can't tell him anymore. But you could talk with his parents, right? Talk with his whatever, not his parents, his siblings, whatever's relative. And, and it's, not just, it's not just the obituaries, okay? But you just you turn, turn the other way, right? And here we got guard can remain free in fatal shooting. So you got some kind of shooting going on. All you got to do is look at the newspaper and you just, you see, the reign of Adam. This, this is like Adam's page, okay? Right here. This is Adam. This is all the effect of Adam, bringing death unto us. <clears throat> I'd say this is uh, Jesus' page, but, but it's not, okay. But, I <laughs> but Jesus came to rip those pages out. Right, when, when, when Jesus sees this page in the newspaper... Jesus comes and says, no, no, not that one anymore. We're not dealing with that one. Right? He's, he's the king of no obituary newspaper. That's who Jesus is the king of. Taking the death away. Let's see if I can put this all in here. He died in our place that we might reign in him, that we might live forever. Now, it's not that everything is fully realized now. Our flesh isn't eternal. And when Christ redeems us, he doesn't redeem us fully and completely instantly. 
We still will will die ashes to ashes and dust to dust. But there is hope beyond the grave. And for every believer in Jesus Christ, you could take this obituary and transform it by putting a a little phrase at the end and entered eternal life with Jesus. Someone who died at age 92, and entered eternal life with Jesus. Someone so died, a beloved grandmother, and entered eternal life with Jesus. Now, sometimes that's said, just kind of a cultural Christianity, but I'm just telling you, this is actual reality. And I'm saying that this future should affect our lives. Next week, we're going to end with verse 20 and 21 of Romans 5. We're going to get into Romans 6, which the core truth of Romans 6 is that we have been united in the death of Jesus. We're united in the resurrection of Jesus, and so we should live differently. Look at verse 5 of chapter 6. For if we've been united with him in a death like his... We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order the body of sin might be brought to nothing. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. And alive to God in Christ Jesus. We ought to consider ourselves as living under the reign of Christ. We've died with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. Our life is different. But we'll get into sanctification in future weeks to come. Is where Paul is is headed. Okay. My fourth point. My fourth point is verse. Help me. 18. You guys are good. All right. Verse 18. Here we go. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification of life for all men. So the two men are here assumed, but it's spoken of the act. It's one trespass is the act, one act of righteousness is the act, and the results are condemnation for all and justification for all. Now, in many ways, this is a summary. Uh, I mentioned how last week it really picks up from verse 12. It is a perfect summary of this text. You want to say, what's, what's happening? Well, one man did one act, it led to condemnation. Another man did another act, and it led to justification. It is the therefore in verse 18 resumes where the dash was in verse 12 and kind of summarizes up. Therefore, one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification of life for all men. Okay, we've talked about condemnation and justification. We don't need to go over that again, but that's every bit as real here, right? We're, we're condemned. Jesus brings us not just innocent, but he abounds and says not only is he innocent, he is perfectly righteous. But, but the significant word here, the different word that comes up here is the word all. And um, at, the, at the cost of overstating the point, Paul um, brings in the parallel with full force. Death spread to all men everywhere. And life spread to all men everywhere is what he said. Now you need to be careful at this point because Paul certainly in no way teaches universalism. Um, You just look through the rest of Paul's epistles. You you look in his preaching. You look even here in in Romans himself and in chapters 9 through 11. he, He clearly knows that people are destined and doomed. He says in chapter 10 verse 1, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, Israel, is that they might be saved. Right? They're, they're not saved. They're, they're, going, they're going to hell. And he himself even said in chapter 9, I wish that I myself could go to hell in their place. My kinsmen, according to the flesh. So he, he believes in everlasting life. He believes in everlasting death. It's life to those who believe in death that doesn't. So why, why would he bring in this hall? Why would he say 
that one act of righteousness leads to justification life for all men. I think he's being poetic. I think he's trying to keep the parallelism, trying to force the parallelism, and choosing poetry over theological preciseness. That's what I think is happening here. Because, look at what he does the very next verse. Verse 19. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. He changes basically all to many. And so uh, verse 18's got all, and verse 19's got many, but, but isn't it all who were made sinners by the, the sin of, of Adam? Certainly. But he's keeping the parallelism there. And so it just, just even taught me, you've got to be careful sometimes, particularly with this word all. All will, will mess you up sometimes. And Paul is very clear what he's saying. There's two men, two acts, and two results. But, but if you want to say it precisely... It uh, just doesn't doesn't quite work. I mean, you might say for one man's, uh, verse 18, right? It says, um, therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation of all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for many. It just doesn't ring as nice and poetic. The clear truth is there, though. We wouldn't, we wouldn't deny that um, in any way. But I, I think that he was just describing what's going on there. So... Really, by application, though, is this. Are you the all or are you the many? Meaning that are, are you part of the all that, that fell in Adam? Certainly, we all are there. But are you part of the many? Are you part of the many that, that will be made righteous? That will be led to life? So, does that result come to you? And, of course, that, that comes by faith and belief. But it's interesting that in this passage, Paul makes no mention of faith. He makes no mention of belief. Again, it's because it's sort of assumed. But this way he started the chapter. Therefore, chapter 5, verse 1, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So he's saying that it's by faith you get it, but he just hasn't mentioned it for a while But it's still there. Are you believing in Jesus? Are you trusting in his life-giving sacrifice on the cross? Or are you living in your sin like Adam? You find yourself living in your sin like Adam rather than trusting in Christ. Just repent today. Believe and trust in him to be part of the many. Well, let's finish it up. My last point, verse 9. I'll be quick here. For by the one man's disobedience... The many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. I trust you see the two men there. There was the one man and the one man emphasized the two acts. This time it's disobedience and it's obedience. I trust you'll see the the two results there. Made sinners and made righteous. Now, of the interesting things here in verse 19, obviously this word made sinners. How is it that we are made sinners? constituted, set up, apportioned, established, confirmed, made. That's, that's the idea here, is that in Adam's sin, it, it affected us, such that our constitution is such that we are, are sinners. And we've talked about that a lot, but the parallel comes exactly. Not only were we made sinners by Adam's sin, but by the one man's obedience, that is Jesus, we are made righteous. 
he, he situates us, he establishes us, he conforms us, he makes us righteous. Now, ultimately, of course, that will be known <clears throat> in glory, right? When we are in, in heaven with Christ, he will make us righteous. Right, right today, even our progressive sanctification is making us more like that. But he has declared us to be righteous. And we are, we are declared righteous every bit as much as we were uh, condemned as being a sinner sinning in Adam. What Jesus did for us is exactly the same. And this is the parallel I pushed last week, that, that if you hate the fact that Adam's sin can be represented with the whole human race, you've got to love that because that's the very place where Christ in his righteousness comes for us who believe and makes us righteous to stand before God. Does the gospel parallel there? But you can't have it one way or the other way. You've got to have it both ways. That Adam made us righteous and that Christ, through faith, makes, made us guilty and sinful. He makes us righteous. Well, I want to finish by talking about this man here. Anyone know who this guy is? I'd be shocked if you did. He is uh, First Sergeant Galad Shalit. He... Um, was on duty as an Israeli soldier of the IDF near the Israel-Gaza border in 2006. And the Hamas militants crossed the border and abducted him, taking him in, into custody as a prisoner. He spent five years in prison in a, in, a, in a place held by Hamas. It's not a pleasant place to be, I am sure. But he was released five years later, 2011. He was released... A free man in Israel today. But his, his release didn't come without a cost. Israel granted 1,027 Palestinian prisoners, some of who had spent decades behind bars for his release. In one small way, that's a little bit like our redemption in Christ. One life was given in exchange for the many. Gilad, Gilad Shalit was given in exchange for more than a thousand Palestinians. And, and, and Jesus Christ, being the perfect, righteous God-man, is given for untold millions, perhaps billions of people who believe in Christ. That is the many. As by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Oh, let's be part of that many. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do look to you. Thank you for revealing to us, God, the the second Adam, how things may be grim in Adam, but things are awesomely glorious in Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray, even as I mentioned, God, that that would be something that would captivate our hearts and captivate our attention captivate our delight, and ultimately that would give us the energy, the power to live a a righteous life and live a a God-fearing life. And so I pray, God, as we transition next week into Romans 6 and really start talking about the nitty-gritty of sanctification, I pray that these roots we have of justification, God, would, would sprout forth into lives that can do nothing else but to live and follow after you. So help us, O Lord, we pray. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.